Hello and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by me, Deba Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And before we got on, I was apologizing to Chip and David for recommending the feel-good hit of the summer, <laughs> <laughs> Nejishiki by Yoshiharu Tsuge. Why are only Chip and David getting apologies? What did I do? Well, sorry. You get an apology. You weren't here yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you were late. <laughs> oh, I was late. Oh. oh, okay. Sorry. But I'm sorry, too. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, you know, after some of the little fun, fluffy romances that I've been recommending, I guess this turns a dial in the completely other direction. Maybe mm. this is like watching a Truffaut film. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, it's artsy. It's influential. It's supposed to be good for you. But is it enjoyable? We'll find out. We are talking about one of the most talked about, yes, critically acclaimed indie manga ever published. It's, it was published in the 1968. Yoshiharu Suge, well, I'll get more into explaining who he is a little bit later. But the only way I've been able to describe him to people, and this probably isn't a great analogy, He's kind of like the Robert Crumb of Japan <laughs> in that he's like, um, kind of like his in- indie comics, underground comics god, who people both think is hugely influential. They're kind of peers time-wise, hmm. but they're also kind of disturbing <laughs> and controversial and maybe a little misogynistic in their stories. But their their stories are interesting and I guess worth talking about, and we'll find out, we'll talk a little bit more about it today. I've always kind of been fascinated by Suge, partly because his work was so often talked about as such an important creator, and so little of his work was available in English until very recently. Previously, I think there was only like what a story, Oba's Electroplate Factory in Raw, issue two, I think back in the 1990s. And then Nejishiki, the first story in the collection we're reading today, was published in Comics Journal, issue 250 back in like 2000 and something. Since then, nothing, right? Until Drawn and Quarterly finally got him to agree to publish his work in English. And so they were, they were publishing his work in these nice hardcover collections, with the exception of one book that kind of slipped under the radar, which is The Man Without Talent which is one of his last published works, done in 1986. And that was published by New York Review of Books a little bit before. But he's a super interesting creator in that he's so well-known and so influential, and yet he hasn't published any new work since the mid-'80s, partly because he is just extremely, well, I guess he's, really depressed or anxious. That was really relatable. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of stopped. You I know? haven't done much since the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you were five years old then, whatever. Yeah, I, I, peaked, I peaked in the 80s. <laughs> Did he refuse to have his stuff published in English for a reason? Or was it just like he, he just wasn't into the idea? Chris, maybe you know the story? There's, like, there's a couple of conflicting ideas about it. Whenever he was approached, he'd be like, the, the the refrain was, I did my work for a Japanese audience. And so translating it for 
a Western audience, an American audience, means it would in, it would have to lose some of its meaning because the cultural context isn't there. Sometimes it was stated less nice than that. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it was there was a little bit more. But my understanding from people that had been trying to get the rights for many, many years was very much that he just didn't want his work translated. And it wasn't. But it was available in French before English, wasn't it? So uh, Suke's work, as far as I can remember, wasn't translated by anybody. Like no one could get the foreign rights Ooh. for it. But when wow. the sort of dam broke, let's say, and things started being licensed out, I think everyone was shocked that the that New York Review of Books got Man Without Talent because there was supposed to be this sort of large international simultaneous licensing effort. Something that you don't really see a lot in manga licensing. Usually sort of people go everything on their own. And for this one, it was like they were going to sign the license for every international version, maybe at once sort of a thing. And all of a sudden, the one book slipped out. It might have, must have been with a different publisher because it was in the 80s. It was a different situation. But like, yeah, I, I, again, I wasn't really talking to anybody at DQ in that point. So I only heard whispers and rumors, but like no one was happy about that, which I think is like, you know, I think there's a lot going on with this work, but I think that the publishing history in English around the work is also pretty interesting. And now we've, you know, actually got the books themselves. So, you know, it's in the past, but the, yeah, these, these books are coming out, I think simultaneously right now in French and Spanish and Italian. And I think at least one other language, whenever I typed it into Amazon to see what was out there, it was like, you know, version française, version espanol, like, so yeah, I think there was a lot of work being put into these books coming out. And it's it's very, very interesting to see how they've been re received, honestly. I mean, I think most of my experience with his work has only been what those few things in English. Mm -hmm. And then even at the big manga exhibit at the British Museum, there was only that first page from Nejishiki. Mm, really? They didn't even have a full story there, right? Eh? Mm -mm. That's weird. The, the exhibit we saw at Angoem, which is, was everything, was all, complete stories. Original pages. Yeah. I was told that not even Japan has had that kind of show. Mm. There are a lot of Japanese people so, there, actually. That had, uh, you know, that's one thing about Angoulême and the manga art shows that happen there. There are a lot of shows that that they get in France that haven't happened in Japan, and it's just it's a different. Uh, there's a different logistics to it, and who would show up. I was talking about this. Sorry, and we're getting way off topic of the actual book today. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but I think I was talking to Taiyo Matsumoto, and he's like, but when he first came to TCAF, and I'm like, oh, so this must be sort of a regular thing for you. And this is 2013. And he's like, no, I've never done a, I've never done a signing in Japan before. And I'm like, what do you mean you've never done a signing? He's like, I can't do events in Japan. Like all of my books like sell like a hundred thousand copies. If I showed up anywhere, it would be a zoo or like chaos. What? So coming to <gasps> TCAP and coming to Toronto, it was maybe the only, he's only done th since then, I think two shows, one in Japan and then one somewhere in Europe. I think, oh, and he went to Angoulême that year as well. Mm. Uh, so three now. And it's just like, yeah, man, it's sometimes you have to remove something from its original cultural context for it to sort of be able to see the light of day. Even uh, there's all maybe... I don't even, I don't know how much of Suge's work is in print in Japanese, but I, I don't think it's five beautiful hardcover volumes. I know I could go to the, any Mandarake and pick up at least a collection of his work and used because it was so popular that something printed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Seeing this in this, this specific edition on the other side of the world is really 
really interesting. I think we're very fortunate in a lot of ways, actually, that, that Dean Q and Asakawa and Holmberg uh, put this together. But we haven't even talked about what the book actually is yet. Maybe we should. Yeah. Maybe we should read the back of the book. Read the back of the book. Let's read the back of the book. Here we go. All right. It says the most critically acclaimed comic of the Japanese counterculture. Nejishiki unveils the most iconic scenes from Yoshiharu Suge's highly respected body of work alongside his most beloved stories. A cornerstone of Japan's legendary 1960 counterculture that galvanized avant-garde manga and comics criticism, the title story follows an injured young man as he wanders through a village of strangers in search of emotional and physical release. Other stories in this collection follow a series of weary travelers who while away sultry nights and face menacing doppelgangers. Even banal activities like afternoon strolls uncover unsavory impulses. The emotionally and erotically charged imagery collected in this third volume remains as shocking and vivid today as it did upon its debut 50 years ago. Suge's stories push boundaries, abruptly crossing the threshold of conventional storytelling. Unassuming protagonists venture further into eerie symbolism against a shadowy, perceptibly dreamlike landscape easily mistaken for the real world. The angst that pervades post-war Japanese society threatens to devour his characters and their pastoral sensibilities as each protagonist's wanderlust <laughs> turns surreal. That's a whole lot of lot of, That's a lot of, <laughs> of text there. I just felt like I just, I, it, it feels like I went into this really academic space right there. Whereas I think like uh, Tsuke's work Gives you a real visceral reaction. I'm curious. I'm pretty sure this is Chip's first time. David, is this your first time reading this book? This, his work? Yeah, this is my introduction to Tsuge for sure. I I guess I shouldn't say introduction. I'm sure I've seen his stuff in Garo before, but I've never like read it or like recognized it as like, oh, this person made this thing, if that makes sense. It was just something that might it was maybe around. Yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. generally like Garo and the idea of Garo, but I haven't really dug too deep deeply but i like that you mentioned that this was really academic like an academic presentation because i was kind of surprised at the juxtaposition of like the counterculture subject matter and the academic like wrapping around it because mm. i think there is something where like underground stuff or trans transgressive the right word maybe i think so yeah. yeah yeah where like stuff like that from the past has to be kind of dressed up in like a scholarly or kind of literary dress to, for us to get access to it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I said dress like four times in that sentence, but you get me. <laughs> and this is definitely one of those. Like when I got to the the notes at the back of the book, I was like, what are these for? And then I realized, <laughs> because we read this, you know, digitally, I mean, the notes precede the, the essay that they reference. And I was like, oh, there's like 30 pages of biography of Suke in this book. That's interesting. That's a fault of the PDF, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I made the same mistake. I got 20 pages in. I thought, when is this introduction going to end? <laughs> <laughs> Not an introduction. It's a feature-length essay on the history of, you know, the Times yeah. and Suge and the publishing. And uh, it's, yeah, it, academic wrapping is a really good way to put it because the, the – well, anyway, sorry. Could you please continue? Yeah. I looked at the PDF and I read the, or I didn't read it, obviously, because I'm me, <laughs> but I went past all the biography stuff and then I started reading and I got about 20 pages into the story before I realized 
I was reading it backwards. I'm like, I'm like, this <laughs> does not make any sense. And so, and then I realized what I've done. And so then I went to the other side of the book and started reading the, the actual beginning story. And 20 pages in, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was afraid of that. Yeah. This is like deep underground comics, I think. Yeah. I had a similar reaction as Chip, I think. It's, I like that it's so drawn. Like, yeah. it looks like a comic, and it's going to sound maybe ludicrous, but it looks like a black and white comic where a lot of comics we read happen to be black and yeah. white. But this is like a guy who's like, excited to work in black and white is that mm. like Tayo Matsumoto is another one of those, those guys I think so I appreciated a lot of the craftsmanship but I was I felt really disconnected from most of the stories especially how like ownership of ends work and exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like oh please explain because <laughs> it's like two different stories where someone like attacks it and a lady who works at an inn and then is like well i guess i work here now and we're gonna grow old together <laughs> that's like, how it works <laughs> it's just a wild time i just want to say that that's not how in ownership <laughs> works in japan <laughs> could have fooled me <laughs> to my best knowledge <laughs> but it's weird because it's one of those ones where i can tell the stories are really like even just flipping through while i talk i can see like oh this story about the guy who meets Mokiria Tavern Girl, I thought was kind of cute. But mm. the whole book didn't necessarily hang together for me. Mm. But I like, I would be willing to try more in this series, if that makes sense. More from Tsuge, more in this hardcover collection. I would say read the earlier stories because they're a little bit more narrative. Yeah. And they're kind of like, if you like Tatsumi, you'll like his the two earlier volumes, I think. Yeah. And one of the interesting things that, that, David said about like not being able to connect with it. Like I felt the same, but also the story is about people who are disconnected. So it kind of worked on that level. It's just like, yeah, I can't connect with this, but also the characters are just kind of flowing yeah. through and not connecting. And even when they do, it's usually just through, well, sexual violence, frankly. And yeah. Yeah. So mm. I felt like on that level, maybe I got it, but that's probably the only level I really got it. I always like to think of myself as someone who like is mm. is right in the middle between like the comics journal and Wizard magazine in my interests, but it turns out maybe I'm more towards <laughs> Wizard. I don't know. <laughs> mm. uh, that's that's fair. That's you know yeah. we've all got to be somewhere. <laughs> I can see it. I think when you describe this as screw style, I was expecting something a little more out there, like maybe more mm. towards oh. something even more like represent like this is very representational. Like I think mm. his draftsmanship is very strong, mm. but I would think of maybe expecting something more abstract or like crazy mm. cat looking maybe where it's uh, very unreal. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't quite understand the Neji Shiki aspect of it other than like the literal, you know, screw in the kid's arm. That's it. I think that's it. I think that is, that's what it means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's less an adjective and more just a title, I guess. Oh, so you thought screw meant something like screwing? No, more like... like or sorry. screwball? or Maybe screwball. Oh, mm. screwball. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Huh. Mm. Well, screwball... Wait, what does Nejashiki translate to? Screw style. Screw style. <laughs> yeah, screw style. But it refers mostly to the t like the screwing thing in the kid's arm at the end of yeah. the book. Not anything sexual, although, you know, sex happens in the story. Yeah. Uh, because there's a kind of, there's like a 
I guess, a subgenre of rap music, say, called Screw Music, which was, you know, created oh. by DJ Screw in Houston in the 90s, where essentially, like, you drink codeine and listen to records that are played at a third speed or whatever. There's, like, a oh. whole culture around it. It sounds amazing. It gives you heart attacks, so please don't do the drug part. But it's a thing where they kind of turned this strange thing, like they take something normal and stretch it into a new shape. And I think I was expecting mm. something similar here where it's more oh. out there underground rather mm. than being mm. kind of a crumb underground, like you mentioned. I think crumb is actually a great like comparison mm. for this guy, especially the way he draws mm-hmm. thighs for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Yes, yeah. there's that. Chris, I want to give you a chance to jump in. I wasn't sure how I was uh, how I was going to talk about this book because it's very hmm, I don't know I haven't read I haven't read any suke obviously it wasn't available in English except for the the two stories because luckily I worked at a comic book store that always seemed to have a copy of Raw Number Two in stock so I could pull it down gingerly off the wall and flip through the Mezzanelli <laughs> in there too is really good but yeah I hmm, I read the whole. Or most of let's let's I might have skimmed it a couple points. I read most of Ryan Holmberg's essay at the back to give what I had just read some context. I'd read the whole essay and it was really clear on reading the essay that these stories were both a progression from his earlier work and a reflection on that earlier work, which was these stories about these pastoral spaces in Japan that were disappearing because of the rapid sort of citification of the city following World War II. And reading this and jumping right into Nejishiki is like the first story where you have no idea maybe what's going on is interesting because we haven't read the first two volumes. And I think that mm. there's no, I think that we lack the continuity of it. And I was like, man, maybe I should just read those first two volumes somehow before one morning, except I'm in Tokyo right now and it was late at night. There's no way I was going to break into Kinokuniya to grab two more volumes of, of the collected complete suitcase, which will be of seven volumes eventually, by the way. So this is number three. Mm. But then I was like, no, man, this is, this is the book. Like the people that were in my sphere anyway, that knew about Suge knew about him through Nejishiki. Cause that was the story. That was the short story that was reprinted in the comics journal. That was the thing that people had read. And that the only thing you could really point to and say, this is why this guy's so important. For, for the longest time. So a lot of people, I think, are going to pick up this volume. And it's going to be sort of dreamy comics, sort of Robert Crumb comics, sort of all of this other stuff that we as sort of Western manga fans or art manga fans haven't had a chance to really fully, like, if you've read a lot of Mizuki, especially if you've read Holmberg's Ryan's essay at the back, and read a lot of Mizuki, suddenly a lot more of this book makes sense. If you read like Onwards mm. Towards Our Noble Death and the Kitaro stuff and and whatnot, like, oh, okay. So this is like a guy who in his off hours while he's doing these stories is drawing like fully rendered lush Shigeru Mizuki stories for the Shigeru Mizuki studio. Like, okay, that kind of explains the some of where the drawings come from. Okay, Gato Magazine. If you've read other Gato contemporaries that have already been translated, mostly by uh, New York Review of Comics and, and Drawn and Quarterly and a few other companies like Seichi Hayashi, for example. Oh, okay, I, I kind of get a little bit more of what the what the vibe was when these stories were coming out. I, and, and you could sort of start to piece together all of these ideas in this work 
And the more that I started to really work to piece it together, the more I appreciated it. But I also think that like, this is going to be most people's first experience with Suge. They're going to pick up Nejishiki because that's the story that they know. And seven volume hardcover series, you might pick and choose rather than going for the whole deal, right? And this is going to be their introduction. And it's like a lot of the context for this work is buried in a 30 page essay at the back of the book. And if you don't come to it naturally, it's it's maybe going to be a really, really hard read, actually, in a way that the first two volumes in the book, which were sort of, again, those more pastoral short stories, as far as I can, I went and read, started reading reviews of the first two volumes. It was like, is it just me? Am I stupid? That like people are, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I'm having a hard time with this one. And it's like, no, the first two books were apparently very, very different. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I think that you can judge a book based on what how it's presented to you. But also this exists in a continuum of a lifetime of work and a continuum of a hardcover book series. So I, w- I would have a hard time judging it harshly at all without having read the rest of the work. Because I think that, you know, at a certain point, a creator just deserves us to actually pay attention to their work if we're going to engage with it. So is there is there uh, any I'm, other I'm a little like medium where a book doesn't stand on its own? Yeah, like novels. Like if you started, if you started Lord of the Rings with you know three, you know, third one. Yeah, but that's a sequel. There's a, a difference between a sequel and like individual stories as part of an oeuvre. But don't you think that, that Suke had a point, like where he was afraid of his work being translated without context? Yeah, actually, I love. Oh that yeah, reason. he absolutely was. Yeah, he was not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that they're they're going out of their way to give as much context for, as possible for the work at the at the back of the book. But who? Not everyone is going to read that to be to be charitable. I don't think everyone's going to read that. I think it's for hardcore like wonks. Like you know what I mean. And I think that that's going to make it. I think if you uh, buy this, if you if you purchase this book, you'll read that. Like, I mean, I, obviously I did not, again, once again, because of who I am. <laughs> but if, if this was a book that I bought a physical copy of to put on my shelf, I would read the essay for sure, because it's part of it. Like, it's part of the art comic experience of this. I probably wouldn't read an essay after reading an issue of Thor. But something like this, <laughs> for sure. Because like, there's clearly stuff going on in here that there needs to be context for. You kind of want to know the history of it all. Yeah. Would you read it immediately after reading the comics? Or because I was thinking, like, I wish there were like short essays in between each mm-hmm. chapter, each story. I mean, that would be great. Yeah. I, 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 I much prefer that yeah. idea. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I wish they were shorter because, like, I, I, I'm fascinated by this guy, but I found those essays to be a slog. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. It's a lot. Yeah. He put a lot of work into it and it deserves careful reading. But it it took a lot out of me to read it. <laughs> it struck me almost as like there's like a good biography of Tsuge happening in these hardcover collections, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily mm-hmm. what I was looking for after finishing reading all the stories and having like different questions about them. Mm. Hmm. So we should we should take a step back though, because mm. I would like and I'm not hosting, I know, but I would love to know this. So the first story, Nejishiki, dream story, mm-hmm. wandering through endless, you know through an endless town that you can't escape from. Sure, a lot going on there, difficult to parse at times. But I found that the other stories were more traditionally 
narrative and worked as like definitely worked as short fiction in a sort of a short story short fiction vibe did you guys not agree with that like like again sun Khan in where he's basically coming back to town and like everyone's you know both oh you look just like the guy who who runs it in the story that we told but also you can't go back there that seemed like a pretty straight ahead like yeah. existential horror story to me like mm. did did you have a hard time with it uh, anybody I don't think it was a hard time so much as like it was slippery as a story. Like I kind of got the horror aspect and like the last page, mm-hmm. you know, when you see the guy with the mask, it's like a great image again, but I didn't buy the dread. I suppose that the people were feeling like the almost like the chorus, like don't go in there, don't go in there, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, he's draped entirely in shadow while they're, you know, like fully rendered in decent color. It's like I like the look, but I don't yeah. buy what it's yeah. selling. I agree. <laughs> but there was like a cool kind of maybe David Lapamy feeling to it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> also, the Lapamy bit is like on page 44 where he goes, Nothing but what, ma'am? And she goes, We be nothing but ghosts. And it's like <laughs> the, the, the full panel. <laughs> that was so <laughs> weird. Straight bullets as well, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's where I've yeah. been wanting to rip that off for a long time and it was funny to see that reading this be like oh it's what he beat me to it when my mom was a child yeah so like, I, I kind of agree with David like, uh, like I can see that there's a feeling of dread in here I didn't quite feel it fully but also like so much of this is like through the lens of modern day like maybe back in the day like this is so avant-garde and different mm that it would just like be unsettling for someone to read something like this, which is, this is an Astro Boy? What the hell? What, like, what's going on here? I was having this discussion last night <laughs> with some friends who were, you know, we were talking about revisiting novels we read when we were teens or in our early 20s. And like how when you go back to reread it, it's like, oh, this, is, this feels like cliche filled and like not really like hitting it uh, like it used to. But then you realize like, well, maybe that thing started something and then everyone copied it and you've read all that. Now you've gone back to see the original and it doesn't quite work anymore because the whole idea of what that earlier work was has been replicated and kind of picked apart, you know, for decades after. And I, I think a lot of these pieces kind of feel that way to me. I mean, besides like the disconnect from like the large amount of sexual violence in this, but there, but there is also just like, this must've just hit like, and felt so strange and weird when it first came out, but I've read a lot of strange, weird books since this. Mm. And so going back to it, I'm just like, yeah, okay, I get it. Kids wandering around, seeing some stuff. All right, cool. Looks good. When we read An Invitation from a Crab by Pampanya a couple episodes back, and I kept referencing Nejishiki. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this mm. idea of this person wandering mm-hmm. these streets and not running into all these kind of surreal things. And then just kind of, rolling with it right like it's it's weird yeah. but you, it has a dream logic to it yeah mm. so but whereas Pampania's work i think is more gentle or it's disturbing but not like the not you don't imagine like that little Pampania character uh i don't know ramming her houseway <laughs> down <laughs> While she's stuck in the mud, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Thank you, Pampanya, for having that restraint. Yeah, some scruples. 
<laughs> yeah, I like the point about this, like reality catching up to this a little bit, because that was exactly my experience with Blade Runner when I finally saw it. Mm-hmm. I was, it was like 2016 or something. It was very recently. Mm-hmm. And after growing up wow. loving like Akira and all these other things, like I didn't call myself a cyberpunk fan, but I realized a lot of what I loved had basically grown out of Blade Runner. So when I saw that movie, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Which is not the reaction yeah, people uh, the want same. when you watch Blade Runner for the first <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> like it's good, yeah. but I get it. <laughs> that was my problem with Blade Runner too. Yeah, the most <laughs> really? anti Blade wow. Runner podcast. On it's the true. Well, when my my first year in art school, art fundamentals, like we had a teacher who just insisted on showing the whole class Blade Runner because most of us hadn't seen it. You could tell it was the teacher's favorite movie, and like I fell asleep like maybe an hour in. Whoa! Like it was like, yeah, oh, man, like this is like, yeah. <laughs> this is so boring. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> but yeah, it's because of the reasons that David says. And this isn't that. It's not. I don't think it's no. boring at any point. But it is not weird, like Chip was saying. Like we've seen mm. weirder at this stage, and even the ones like the last story I thought was pretty unsettling—a summer memory mm. where the guys oh, like racked yeah. with guilt over essentially molesting yeah. an injured woman. Like I thought that was yeah. one of the strongest mm. in the book, but still like. Not worse than your average chapter of Gantz. Yeah. Mm. You know, like there's. Mm. Yeah, but Gantz has no guilt. <laughs> yeah, but it goes so far, I think, uh, that it sort of. There's like a window yeah. of acceptability, you know? And uh, I think it's shifted a lot to where the things that freak us out mm. in books now are like a lot more visceral yeah. and personal. While mm. here, maybe the, just the suggestion of doing something untoward to someone who's been injured was enough to. This makes us sound like horrible people, and I'm saying it all out loud. I guess what makes it disturbing mm. is that he's, his work feels, feels, you know, autobiographical in some ways, mm. or v- very personal. Yeah, and that makes that adds a level of, uh, of definite, to it. It's the crumb thing. To it. It's like yeah. he keeps mm-hmm. drawing himself into it, and it is absolutely the crumb thing. It's like oh, I'm going to draw my fantasy, but I'm going to create a bunch of characters to act out that fantasy is very different than. And here's a self-insert fantasy character doing those terrible things. And I think that, like that didn't, like I get that that is definitely a theme in this, mm-hmm. but like it was also a pro. It's like yeah. this is exactly a product of its time. Oh, for sure. If you've read. Uh, I think that's some of it's to shock, right? To say, like, you know, that society's awful and like what Japan's mm-hmm. going through now post war is ugly. We're not great people. We're not honorable. Awful things happen. People do awful things. And yeah. it's, it's very, you know, raw that way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's also, I don't know if anyone has done autobiographical work and like there's a point where you, you do some stuff that's really dark and personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you go, whoa, I don't know if I want everyone to know this. <laughs> yeah. And then you back away from that precipice, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then Suge, with Suge, like, and it, what makes sense in his depression and his anxiety is that I feel like it led to its a logical end. Like his self-loathing and his anxiety and it's like it. I, it didn't make sense to me for a long time why someone who was considered to be so talented and so influential stopped drawing since the late 80s. Sometimes you just run out of things to say in that movie. I guess. Yeah. it just, But it blew me away. Like, I couldn't understand. And then I met him and his son. And then I read more of this work and I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> it's 
not so easy, is it? David said that this one had the most dread in it mm. for him. Mm. And uh, I think part of that is the fact that, first of all, it's the only one with like a, a female character that's actually like kind of not being attacked, even though there is another one being attacked in the story. But like his, his partner, his wife, the fact that there's another character to kind of kind of create the sense of danger. Like if she finds out, like it's not just this guy, you know, kind of off on his own on a journey and something bad could happen to him. It's like something bad could happen to their relationship because you've got a whole other character mm-hmm. in this as well. And the fact that she is painted as quite normal and charming as well, kind of added to that dread. I felt like she's not a weirdo or like a specter or anything. Like she's just like kind of going along with this. Yeah, she's yeah. just supportive. Yeah. I think. Also has some great bits of comedy about him being a manga artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like when he tries to get out the, Oh, get out that, that certificate that says, uh, I'm a good person. Yeah, yeah, but he just gave them some old artwork. <laughs> like, that's going to prove to the cops that he's a good guy. Very, yeah. very funny. Yeah, yeah, that, that that felt like the most whole story to me. And and also just kind of like the best ending, too, where he doesn't really kind of learn his lesson. And you have that really great drawing of the, the woman from before with the arm in a sling, but her face is kind of in shadow from her parasol. Like it's it's really nice mm. and creepy, yeah. I think mm. I think that's probably my favorite story out of all of these. Even though, yeah, it was still disturbing in a way that I didn't enjoy. We were talking offline just a minute ago about how, like, I I didn't read all the stories as autobiographical or like semi autobio. They didn't really have that vibe for me until like the comics guy showed up in this one. Ah, uh. when he draws a picture of what happened to his sandal. And his wife is like, oh, I like the zzz part. You can really feel it. Like, that's such like a yeah, nice yeah. touch, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the supportive partner. And also, like, he's a yeah. decent illustrator. But he is just mm. such... Yeah, the way he bounces off her, like, she's supportive by default. Like, she doesn't even realize there's a thing to be supportive for. And she's still kind of there for him while he's melting down kind of inside. Yeah, it was solid. What did you think about that one? I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting short story. I thought it was well done and the tone was really different. Uh, Even though it had dread, it was a different kind of dread, I think, than the sort of existential horror of the Master of the Gang Sankan in one. And that was actually one where I wanted to go back and I actually read the notes right after because it was the end of the book. So I skipped to the part that is about this book uh, story specifically because the introduction of like all of a sudden this lonely wandering character for the first uh, five or six short stories gets a girlfriend when he's like shows himself to be sort of the most morally repugnant (laughs) person in a story sure okay and it yeah it absolutely reflects when he had a girlfriend in real life and then when it was like oh you're telling stories about you and your girlfriend now he was like no that's not about her (laughs) like full on it's kind of amazing actually where he no that's not that's not what that is the the suggestion is and he get it sounds kind of angry, actually. Like, the suggestion is ludicrous or something to that effect. I'll throw the quote in the show. I would never date such a kind woman. Yeah, right? Like, anyway, they ended up getting married and having kids. Huh, or a, a kid. One kid, I, yeah. I, yeah, this, this short story was, I think, the, maybe the most traditional narrative. Like, with the beginning, middle, and end and everything. Uh, rising tension, the whole nine yards. And, you know, I thought it was fine. 
I, I thought like I thought it was good, but I didn't think it grabbed me like some of the other ones. What was your favorite? I think my favorite one was probably yeah. Favorite one was sorry, and then the crab. I think was uh, I wanted to mention the crab because mm. Deb mentioned. Well, before I get to my favorite, I want to talk about this part. We actually have read a lot of things that are like the the antecedents of Suge's work and Pan Pena's invitation from a crab, which is largely inspired by the crab in the story. Like a mysterious crab shows up one day and this character follows it to wherever it could be through pipes and things like that, even though it's like not supposed to be this far from the sea. That is like the beginning of Invitation from a Crab. And it just goes obviously in a very different direction because it's influenced by the whole body of work rather than just the story. So we are getting, I think like Chip was saying, these stories 60 years, 50 or 60 years down the road, 50 years down the road, after all these people have like ingested these ideas and been awed by them and like, and maybe two or even three generations of filtering down through work. It's not like, like Panpanya went and read Suge and then made comics. Sure. But like a lot of people who are influenced by this work are influenced by the people that were influenced by this work or by the people who are by the people who were influenced by this work. So I think that that creates a really weird expectation. And in some ways it's like, it's it's like a lot like film for me where it's like you go back and you know is this going to be uh, this is this person's really groundbreaking and it's like except for the most visceral most extreme stuff which in this case is the sexual violence which is like repeated and like really rough actually everything else kind of feels a little bit more tame whereas at the time it all felt like that when you saw like him deciding to casually like force himself on a woman like the lead character in one of these stories Everything in that story felt like that, like the way that our gut feels. And I think that that there's a lot of power there and a lot of like, a lot to talk about there as well. It's like, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. But the crab story, I think is interesting because it does really outline how much of how much he influenced a certain, like a wide swath of manga that came after him that he probably would disown too, if you told him. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't seem like the kind of person to go, oh, yeah, that was definitely influenced by me because he doesn't seem like he reads manga. Like, he would never even know or, like, wouldn't necessarily see it. So I think that's, a weird that's thing. kind it's of like, fascinating. Recently, he was, like, chosen as, like, some kind of manga ambassador. That's, that's a cool. weird call, man. Right? <laughs> is and he, he accepted. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> is he grumpy or is he particular about his work? Hmm. My understanding is he's <laughs> flat out grumpy. Like flat he's a grumpy, grumpy dude. I could not even dare to ask for an interview mm. at all. I spoke with his son and that became more fascinating as I got to read more of the work. Like we were just kind of talking casually and he goes, oh yeah, you know, all his work is just with lying in stacks of paper around the house. And then when we got asked to do this exhibit, I lifted up a few pages and all the little bits of type fluttered away yeah and he had he and a friend oh, had to painstakingly re-glue each bit of lettering back on for the exhibit I, I have two quick stories about that one the otomo book that i got to edit akira art of the wall otomo paid his son and this the dude who ended up doing the mural stuff to go through all of his artwork for the genga exhibition and actually make sure that all of it was there and they just talk about like and things were falling off and we had to reattach them. And there was like, it's the entirety of Akira. So there was like thousand, like like a couple thousand pages. And it took us days. And, and then they're all laughing over it over beers in this interview in this book. But like, it is so, like if you are a behind the scenes 
wonk on like this kind of comic stuff. The interview in Akira Art of the Wall is actually insane because it's the first time Otomo talked about Akira or any of that stuff in like 20 years. It's it's great. Wow. But the second one was I went to when we did the Matsumoto exhibition. Sorry to keep going back, but mm. we did the Matsumoto exhibition at TCAF. No one had done an exhibition of his artwork, I think, outside of Japan before. So we went to the Shogakukan offices and they're like, here's all the pages you requested. And then they just dropped a stack of artwork on the desk of like, I think, I think I only asked for 30 and I think they would have given me more now, but like 30 or 40 pages. And I'm like, I picked one up and yeah, the lettering fluttered off of it. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, save that. And they're like, why? Like, <gasps> Matsumoto. Like, I think the idea is he didn't draw that lettering. It was literally just like laser printed and then <laughs> yeah. like stuck on with, with, you know, Elmer's glue or some shit. Like for him, that wasn't, that wasn't the art. Like the, his art was the art and the lettering that was like pasted down by an editorial assistant. Like there aren't generally letterers as we think of them in West, in like the, the West on those comics. And it's all just fonts. Like it's all fonts all the way down. But they're just like, yeah, whatever. Like it's not something that I put on there. So if it flutters away, you don't have to worry about it too much. And I'm like, oh, I'm worrying. So I didn't reattach anything, but anything that fell off, I kept and included back with the artwork. So it was just <laughs> a little baggy of tiny pieces of lettering, Amazing. like individual characters <laughs> that were uh, returned with the artwork. And I, I think they wow. were probably <laughs> like, sir, you know, drugs goes in these normally. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, like, no, it's, not, it's just tiny letters. It's not acid. I swear. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, I, I realize, speaking of a summer memory, mm. it runs like 151 to 170-ish, maybe? Mm. Yeah. It's like the length more or less of like an American comic. And I, it reminded me of actually a chapter of 100 Bullets, where two people find a lotto ticket in a recent car wreck. There's like oh. a little morality play and conversation. It plays yeah. out very differently, but it has kind of a similar mm. like guy and girlfriend kind of bouncing off each other morally aspect. Oh, and, you know, Eduardo Riso, amazing artist. And it's cool to see how Tsuge draws a lot of night scenes in a similar way. The way he draws grass with the body mm-hmm. laying in the grass is really striking on page 155. Yeah. How it's just like streaks of white almost, you know? Yeah. Like I would yeah, guess it's, awesome. it's paint probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like white, white out or something, right? Yeah. Like I'm sure if he did it nowadays, it'd be like a Posca marker or something, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't want to, even though the stories didn't always connect with me here, they yeah. did make me think a lot and like really appreciate the way that he was telling them. Mm. And he employs so many different styles, even just mm-hmm. from like the Mokiri uh, in chapter, like when the guy's immediately cartoony, I was like, oh, okay, this could be going places. Cause he looks like, you know, he stands out against like that starkly mm-hmm. representational background. I don't know. It's a good looking book. Yeah. There's some really beautiful page compositions, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. When you see them individually, that's like, and some are really striking, mm-hmm. like like this one, like just this picture of this woman yeah. naked. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. was gonna say that. So you flip, you're you're flipping through the page and you read the beginning of the book, and everything is kind of like either nejishiki, where it's like everything is kind of weird, and occasionally be like one background that's sort of horrific, but also really well rendered. Or you get the stories that have the sort of beautiful Mizuki-esque, like really lush backgrounds with like cartoony characters in the foreground. Yeah. Like, and it's like, okay, that's cool. I kind of get what he's doing here. And then you flip to the next story and he completely inverts your expectations by doing a hyper-realistically rendered person. Mm. That's like proper proportions and everything too. In a hyper, like the whole thing looks like it's obviously it's 
shot from photographs and then you read the essay at the end it's like yeah that was actually these are photo nude studios where you would take photos of ladies the whole thing that kind of thing and it's just so different than the stuff that came behind it that it is it did replicate some of that shock for me like you <laughs> imagine you think you're getting a nude suge story and it's like oh this is like a you know that usually tells stories about going up into the mountains and finding weird villages and then you open it up and it's just like a full page of a lady spread eagle and you're like Oh, okay. He's doing something different this month. Like that that's that's wild that this is that these stories are in chronological order and you sort of see what came before and then after with with summer memory, where it's like everything has been sort of taken to a different place. It's 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 really, really neat. It's like a wild situation. I think I realize also why some of the countercultural aspect is not quite hitting with me. Mm. Is because social media is so debased at this point. It is just like the worst thing in the world. So comics have to reach like even higher, you know? Because you mentioned, you talked about like seeing the shock of a nude woman on a comics page. I was like, oh, that's not shocking to me anymore. I don't know when that happened, you know? Mm. It was shocking to me because of the context of this book. Like, I went to Comicette this weekend. Oh. Comic Market, the Dojinshi Festival. I'm not shocked by going there. I was not shocked by large banner roll ups of extremely nude ladies uh, and gentlemen, you know, all lushly rendered with like beautiful Photoshop, you know, whatever. Not shocking because of the context of it. But the context of this book, where it's like everyone's kind of drawn not quite to realistic human proportions for the first couple stories. And then you flip the page and it's like, here is literally a traced photograph of a lady. Mm. It is so different in tone and style than everything that preceded it and then sort of influences the stuff I think that comes after it, that it really is about just context on context on context. And actually, this is my favorite story in the book, even more so than uh, Nejishiki. I think uh, mm. Master of the Willow Inn uh, has a, a clarity that I really appreciated. I don't know. Mm. There's uh, Some of it resonated because depression sucks and sometimes when i was depressed i would be riding the trains and just decide to get off in a random station just to see the ocean because i needed to see the ocean or i was not going to be okay so i really that was in there and it was like ah shit i feel seen and it does not feel good because it's in this story wow (laughs) and it did connect with me in a real way and when he they mentioned this the song at the beginning of this story i actually was like you know i'm in the i live in the 21st century let's do this and i went and found the song and put it on so it was playing the whole score from this movie was playing in the background of abashiri prison was playing in the background where i read the story and it created a and we'll put it in the show notes you can listen to yourself but it was it created a mood and a real vibe that was consistent i think that's the word i used right i think it was consistent all the way through this like you're going, you're wandering through a town you've never been to uh, on the train. It's late at night. You can't get back. Someone, you know, a stranger's kind to you, but you're also, you know, a piece of shit. So why should they be nice to you? You know, you're in a bathhouse with a, you know, you have sex with a lady that is dubious and then you leave. And when you come back a year later, she doesn't remember you because you weren't that important. Actually, the end. Oh, sorry. But you find a cat and play with a cat on a beach and you realize that, you know, <laughs> you're a piece of shit, but at least you're nice to cats. The end. <laughs> If if the children of the internet in 2023 can't relate to that story, I call them liars, I think, because that is what every Twitter thread is right now. Like, oh, I'm a piece of shit, but at least I've got my cat, you know, 
Like, yeah. But anyway. I would never it put my cat's feels paws cool. in my eyes because mine would probably extend the claws. You know, as like a yeah, non-cat yeah. person, I did ask about that. <laughs> that seemed very unlikely. I really am terrified of that and will never do it myself. But if you put your cat's paws on your eyes and it no. does feel cool, let us know in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say, like, I'm part of the generation that over-romanticizes the Showa-ness of this, like that mm. era of Japan. I mean, probably dating myself, but the first time I went to Japan was in 1973. The yen to dollar ratio was 360 yen to the dollar. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And so I was there when I traveled at that time. I got to see a Japan that was very different than the Japan we see now. Like more than half of the toilets were squat toilets in the ground. Like you went to the temple, it was a squat toilet, just a hole in the ground. <laughs> It was not glamorous at all. <laughs> you could definitely still feel that tension between the old Japan and the new Japan. Yeah. Like some of the old Japan still existed. And so what I what I see in Suke's photos of that time is it's a Japan that has mostly disappeared. And the stories that he's telling of, you know, these decrepit inns and these back roads and these small towns, it's you know, it's it, it was a time, <laughs> mm. and it's very hard to find that mood now. So some of it is him over-romanticizing this, this milieu. And it's hard to relate to sometimes because it, it doesn't exist. For the most part, it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And the version of it that exists is a theme park version. Exactly. So like Showa-era stuff that you see that's like, oh, come to Showa Town in like Odaiba or whatever is, is the Disney version of it it's not it's not how things were and that's and for, for most people way better but people do feel like they've lost something absolutely and they frankly they did <laughs> the war didn't wasn't super easy here even you know as the aggressors it did not go well uh well that's what happened in tatsumi's book in right it, you know? yeah. like there was more poverty japan was There's a much so poorer much country mm-hmm. so this kind of it's weird because you're reading this mood, right? And it's if you think about it, he's a peer of from and Spain and all those people who were doing underground comics in the late sixties. Kind of, I also kind of when I read Nejishiki, I think like, what was it? What did it capture? That mm. people like, what was the mood like to be a twenty-something person at that time? What made this story like feel like, whoa, this speaks to me? In a way that it maybe doesn't now, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Are you familiar with Seijun Suzuki, the film director, Brandon to Kill, Tokyo Drifter? Oh, Tokyo Drifter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that guy. He is maybe most famous for making a movie that was so weird the studio said make the next one make sense, or else. <laughs> and then he was like, "I'm on it," and then he was fired shortly after. Wow. But this book. Suge's style reminded me of him. And he's also a, you know, Brandon to Kill came out in 1967. Mm. Um, he's also a peer of Suzuki. Mm. And you can kind of see in the first story, in Nejishiki, a little bit of that kind of like disjointed storytelling, but mm-hmm. that still kind of builds to like a very specific mood. Mm. So yeah, there's a, a ton of, I don't know, there's a lot of angles to appreciate this one from as well, I guess. I want you guys to flip to page... Sorry, I think it's like XL 
XLVIII. <laughs> uh, it's in the, the the essay at the back, and it's there's an image, there's an inset image here that's the cover of Modern Comics number one, the magazine for the young sense, and it is the most like late sixties like hippy dippy like pop situation, and this is a magazine that had comics <laughs> by Tsuge in it. Like, look at this cover illustration and like what the style yeah. of like here, I'll 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 hold it up in case you can't get to that page for whatever reason. But like this oh. is the style of the oh, cover yeah. of the magazine uh. that a Tsuge, like one of the Tsuge stories in this book appeared in. Like the counterculture sort of was in a different place in Japan because it was importing all the American visual identity and and stuff that was going on uh. with music and stuff like that but was also like oh had other had a lot of other things going on <laughs> than just that that mm. were very uniquely japanese and man i don't know like i think this essay does a a pretty good job of adding cultural context it is a really long read in a lot of ways but like damn yo like this is these things don't feel like the same thing to me but they were the same thing for the people who are reading them is it similar to like the fame that like crumb and similar experienced in france where like they were legit celebrities i th like Tsuke was legitimately like if you read this essay like yeah i i can't recommend it to chip because I, I know how <laughs> he hates essays but i think you should really read this essay there's a lot in here that you're like, are you serious? All right. It's, it's worthwhile. It really does uncover a lot of stuff and, and point to a lot of stuff, but specifically mm -hmm. about Suge's sort of rising fame and why he stopped making comics so much and sort of the revelations there. It's just, uh, it's a great, it was like, wow, all the bits that I didn't have, I felt like many of them, most of them were in the essay at the back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think, hmm. I think you're right. And if the essays had appeared along, well, they're, they're, there's different. I think if the essays had been like, here's what the story meant at the end of every <laughs> book, at the end of every story, it would have been a very different book. And I don't know that it necessarily would have been better Cause, served. Because didn't it. we complain yeah. about that with St. Young Men, where it felt like it yes. broke the rhythm of St. Young Men? Yeah, we did. It absolutely. Explain things too much in between. And we had a different complaint for the Motohagio project as well. Oh, we're like, yes, what's that's true. what? When do these stories get printed? We have no idea. They seemed all over the place. Yeah, we're just never happy. I mean, are we? Young Men yeah. was like kind of a comedy, so like that feels like a bit of a different thing than art comics being explained. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah, contextualized. That's true. That's a good point. the The essay is great. There is a bit on this page on forty eight. In Roman numerals, Christopher, it would have been so much easier if you just said forty seven. I was like X L V I I. But the, they mentioned like a collection of hardcovers of like popular manga artists. And it's like Tezuka, Ishinomori, Sante Shirato, Kazuo Mezo, Takao Saito, who did Gogo 13. Like it sounds almost as if there was like a Malibu Comics sampler in 1992. And it was yeah. like Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Art Spiegelman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but that's, that's this, that's like, I bought this book. Yeah. Which is. Like the lineup seems so like he's Tsuge's clearly counterculture. Like even though like it's not as edgy maybe as it would have been in the sixties to me today, like I can still feel yeah. it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so strange to think about him being so counterculture that he became one of the top guys. Mm. You know? Yeah, he's he's a giant, man. Yeah. People really talk about him like like Tezuka. Like, I would yeah. say Tsuge, Tezuka, Ishinomori, Motohagio, kind of like there's like a very small group of manga artists that people will point to and go, they really change the trajectory of comics. Mm-hmm. In, in Japan, and his work is—I don't know—it's just weird. <laughs> it, it really did change the trajectory of comics in Japan. I think, I think the the—I don't know how you feel about the individual works, but I think the work as a whole definitely lives up to this presentation of like a complete seven-volume collection. I mm. think the work, oh, definitely, really, really yeah. was and is important because the more of it we read, the more we're going to be able to understand some of the other things that we've read for sure. It it does point out a glaring hole that we should have read some Mizuki by now, 108 mm. episodes in or whatever this this one is. I wish we had read some Shigeru Mizuki because I think it, it would be illuminating as well. I will say, though, that Holmberg's essay, he does not hide his contempt as Mizuki, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd say contempt, but I definitely think that he has some pretty accurate criticisms about not crediting your assistance, but mm-hmm. he also has some pretty accurate criticisms when he says, and that's still a practice that happens today with rare exceptions. Like that's David true. called out when we read Ajin, Demi-Human. Oh, by panel. Yeah, panel, like I got this guy to draw this panel, but here's every assistant who worked on this volume. And that that information wasn't taken out of mm-hmm. the English edition. And sometimes it'll in the Japanese edition, it'll, it'll thank all the, all the assistants and then they, it doesn't make it into the English editions even. So it's like, it's it's oh like, I didn't know forget that. about wow. translators wanting cover credit. It's like they won't even credit the people who are drawing the books. <laughs> like th- there's a real problem with how with, with with crediting creators, I think, in manga. But what anyway, sorry. Chip, you've been really silent because we've gone off. Well, I'm just, well, now I'm wondering like why why wouldn't that be the case when it gets adapted into English? Like what what reason would there be to like not include that? You don't necessarily All I can think have is to. that the yeah, you don't have to, and they're just included on not necessarily a credits page, but like an author thanks page. They don't always make mm. it into the localizations. Yeah. I think in recent memory, it's yeah. been a lot better in terms of including that kind of thing. But in like the the early days of the manga boom, when anything goes, yeah, yeah, and, and and still today, there's some some stuff that doesn't make it in. But I will say, you know, to my mind, Shonen Jump actually, when they started including the author notes, like every volume, the author will wrote write a specific note, and sometimes mm. it's like kind of nice, and sometimes it's like. Wow, eight volumes. Who'd have guessed it? And you're like, really? We got a whole page for that <laughs> for that note? Okay, sure. But yeah, I think Shonen Jump sort of changed the idea of what we wanted from our manga. Oh, that's a much that's a different that's a different episode. Different episode. <laughs> but I do think, yeah, I, I wish assistance would get credited. I do think that's something that the Mizuki Pro should be doing because so many people have worked for Mizuki Pro. And I'm glad that there's, you know, Holmberg points out. A bunch of stuff he points to his sources where there's somebody on twitter and we'll link that mm-hmm. person in the, the show notes as well that's like going through and like piecing together who drew what in a lot of these important mizuki stories and i think mm-hmm. that that's really interesting i've seen a lot of that for like classic jack kirby comics or something where they annotate mm-hmm. everything you know so it's mm-hmm. cool, cool yeah they're similar going on for yeah. mm-hmm. manga as well it's interesting because the tsuke exhibit was in in the museum at the same time there was a wally wood exhibit Jeez, oh, wow. that's a lot of drawing. <laughs> so, like, like one a wing was Tuge and the other half was Wally Wood, and Wally Wood exhibit. Like the last part of the exhibit showed 
pages that had burned edges or burned pieces because he too dealt with some depression, basically mm-hmm. yeah. burned a lot of stuff. So it's, I, I don't know why, I don't know if that was on purpose to choose having both artists, you know, on the same floor. Yeah, it's yeah, no kidding. Feature, yeah. It is a, I, I guess why does Suge fascinating to me? Suge is fascinating to me because of his singular vision and yet his, his, the demons he's dealing with. Mm. And, you know, the parallels between that at the time of underground comics and the social upheaval that was happening in America and Japan at the same time and what it, how the comics that came out of that time. Yeah, I mean, it, it bothers me as a woman to read like, whoa, wait, he's, he's, he's dunking this woman, this mute woman in the water and Fs her. And then yeah. she wants more. What? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it's disturbing, right? But I still find him fascinating. Have you played the Netashiki video games that they mentioned in the essay? No. <laughs> no. No. What? No. Did you? Maybe you should read the essay. Chip. I guess I, I need know. to read the essay. <laughs> oh, I saw that those those pictures of the things that it's that it's influenced. Yeah, it's I crazy. guess there's like a live action movie. There's a video game. The video game's from 1989. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so Christopher, please hook us up in the show notes. Maybe there's a Let's Play on YouTube somewhere. There's got to be a Let's Play of that. There's got to be. show notes somewhere. But yeah. it's ZX Spectrum. I think you can actually, I think you can emulate that in browser now. I could probably just embed the whole game <laughs> into show notes. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I brought Nejishiki to the table because I thought we, I've been bringing a lot of contemporary stuff, but it, sometimes I think you need, to appreciate rock and roll, sometimes you got to bring in some of the blues. Yep. So I won't do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. It's always appreciated. Yeah. But we'll try. It'd be, ni- it'd be nice to have another Dick Fight Island. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, they just announced the third one. Oh, yay. Sublime's nice. coming soon. Getting a Dick Fight Island 3. Don't worry. <gasps> Exciting. But I did, okay. but we are coming up onto the Yakuza's bias, which is we're back to my old trashy fun. So right. for that. <laughs> and cherry magic. So more trashy fun ahead. Yeah. But let's go around the table and let's get some final thoughts. Uh, Chris, want to start? Yeah, I'm going to answer your, answer your question with a question. All right. This is the the number one thing is like that we're podcast for people who, you know, don't manga pack people don't read a lot of manga, but, you know, want to learn about manga. Do you think I'm going to start with Chip, actually, that this is a good introduction a good to manga? manga? <laughs> Yeah. Who would you write? Who would, if you, if you were like trying to think of the ideal, like for me, it's like the beguiling customer that buys all the weird shit. This is like, if, even if they started here, there'd be no problem. But do you think that in any way, this is a good introduction to manga? No, but only, only because like, doesn't represent a lot more than this, at least in the Mm hundred episodes that we've done, like, you know, invitation from a crab, maybe, but like, not really. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I actually, as soon as you asked it, I had the exact same thought about the beguiling customers. And for anyone that doesn't know, the beguiling it's a comic shop in Toronto that like really kind of specializes in uh, kind of indie counterculture zine style works, and they also sell Daredevil. But yeah, this is this is a total beguiling pick right here. 
I can see I can see me walking in and Alex trying to put it in my hand. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's an int- it's a great I mean, it's not an introduction to a, a bigger world, but I think it's suitable for that kind of comic journal reader for lack of a better mm. descriptor. David, yeah. you have a reputation as being able to come up with a log line that'll sell anything. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, what's your, how would you sell this one, man? I would give this to anyone who knows about underground comics but doesn't read manga. I think it would mm. be a cool first manga for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yeah. is very much in line with a lot of that stuff. But I actually don't have a good pitch for this one because the stories are, they have a, they have a lot of shared themes, but they don't really like hold together as one set for me. So I'd have to know more about Tsuge personally to have like a really fast pitch. I'd probably give it to a woman on a first date, maybe. My God. I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't want a second share. Exactly. <laughs> Just skip straight to the elopement and owning, you know, co-owning her parents. In the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I forgot about that loophole in the law. Yeah. You're sitting on a date. She's like, what are you into? And I'm like, hotel management. You just slide this book across the table. (laughs) Never breaking eye contact. (laughs) But I I think my my final thought is page 103, I think, has my favorite drawing in the book. And I know that someone else also must have liked it because they used it again as the the gap between the end of the book and the essay on page... What is it? 70 something. Anyway, it's a it's a guy standing next to a train in the night in the dark. Yeah. And just I mm. love these kinds of drawings. Mm. It's like urban ennui, I guess. Mm-hmm. Same. But Suke nailed it. And this whole story kind of like expresses that kind of feeling. I don't know. It's good good very good grasp of tone. Yeah. Let's yeah, say. for sure. Instead of my final thoughts, I'm gonna give this one of my highest recommendations of use of color the first few pages where they use the color very good very good that red and the placement of the red i love it Mm. Mm. on page 12 on page 12 like the guy at the top holding the wrench being backed by that red color it's just so cool and graphic and scary and creepy as a result of that Mm -hmm. yeah good use of color I am glad to read this because I was a big fan. I am a big fan, sorry, of, of uh, Yoshiro Tatsumi's work. And that was released well, well before, I think almost a decade before this was released. And there were contemporaries, although Suge was definitely more respected sort of during his time and broke through more. And it was interesting to see that this was like, Tatsumi famously said, I never worked for Gato. I think he did like one cover or two covers for them and mm-hmm. did an, maybe an interview there. And he's like, oh, I never worked for them. They didn't pay enough because I had, you know, I had bills to pay. And so, Suke's work ran in Gato and other sort of similar, like, you know, as he started growing, you know, more artsy and, and more like youth oriented comics magazines, whereas Tatsumi's work mostly appeared in the Japanese edition of Playboy, which mm-hmm. people really did read for the articles in the 60s. And so Tatsumi's work is more, I think, story oriented and visceral. Like, here is a terrible thing that I came across in my life that I'm sharing with you as a comic story about people living in Tokyo, whereas these are progressively more abstract in different ways, but still have that same vibe of like some terrible shit's going on in the city and we're not really talking about it in mainstream culture because we need to sort of be looking forward and rebuilding after the war. And I think that this adds a 
fuller picture to that. And I think that that's really fascinating. I would love to show, love to pick a Tatsumi work, one of the short story collections for, for, the, for an episode in the future, just to see if it vibes more with Chip, with, with where you're at in terms of like the storytelling. They're, they're not dissimilar works, but I think they are very, they show very different takes on the same sort of on. Yeah. I, I should say, I do, I do like this. It just doesn't fully vibe. That's all. Mm. Yeah. I, I would. Yeah. So if you're, if you're like, I want to get into this kind of material, but maybe you guys on manga's planning have scared me off of this particular volume. Go check out the Tatsumi short story collections, band in the old in Tokyo, the push man. And what is the third one? I can't remember show notes. Sorry. Early here. <laughs> That's my final thought. Deb, you want to wrap us up? What do you think? All right. Well, you know, one thing as we're heading into almost our hundredth episode of Manga Splaining, I knew that this wasn't a title to bring up early. <laughs> it wasn't available early either, but I think Suki's an important creator, and I think it's worth talking about and seeing his work. As much as I complain about Ryan Holmberg's essay being a slog, <laughs> I'm glad it's there. I learned a lot, and I'm grateful that he gives context to this work in a way that I I wouldn't have had otherwise. I just think it's important to read the comics first and just experience it yeah. and, be, and sit in the uncomfortableness and sit in the mystery and sit in the what the hell's going on here and then read the essays. Because <laughs> I think that's a better experience. I, I, I agree it's not for everybody, but I think if you're serious and want to understand manga, particularly because there's a huge gap in what is available in English, because most manga was the manga boom in America happened after the 90s. And a lot of manga that was published before the 80s just never gets a chance in English because it's too old or too weird. So I'm glad that this uh, Run and Quarterly got it. I'm glad they're putting it out with such care and thought. It's not for everybody, but if it's if you're curious about, you know, what was going on the same time as the underground scene in America, check it out. It's, it'll be worth your while. Nice. That's it for this particular part of Manga Splaining. We will be back after this message, and we'll see what else we want to talk about. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, and now for something a little different. We're just going to talk about things we like, otherwise known as the shoutouts. Let's see who wants to start this time. Uh, I'll, I'll be one with grenade. Oh well, yeah. Er, 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 erase me out of that. Volunteer that, to go first. <laughs> no, I was going to say I had an announcement, but it's more of a like, uh oh, announcement. Oh no, <laughs> no, no, not too bad. Thankfully, I wanted to say, in the interest of 
openness or whatever that I started some doing some consulting work for Credentia. So now the whole podcast is even more compromised than it already was. <laughs> Yeah, right? So we can't really oh, talk about Biz no. or Kodansha anymore. I'm and I'm going to try and collect the set. I'm going to get Chip a consulting at Yen somehow. That'll be really fun. Yeah, so that we can't really talk yeah, about anything. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm super compromised if you're going by that. <laughs> well, it, you know, we always try to keep our personal or <laughs> our work biases out of it and talk about things in a fair way. But also, you got to disclose up front. Or, uh, so I'm sorry, is your well, shout out Kadansha? Is that I what you're saying? To, uh, yeah, I, I Go know. For it. Wow. It's good manga, it's good manga. Go for it. <laughs> Amazing. So I've been, because I'm doing some consulting work for Kodansha now, I'm reading like every single Kodansha book that I can, like at least one volume of, of, of like every Kodansha book wow. now. And, or I'm trying to anyway. I'm doing a bad job of it, unfortunately, but you know, I keep working. But be, because of that, I've been. I just caught up on what did you eat yesterday because that was the one I needed to read the least, but it was also the most fun. And man, I miss food manga. I wish we were talking. We got to do a food manga right at the beginning of next season because it's so good and it's such a sweet episode. It's the one about the two gay guys who are just living together and making food for each other, and stuff happens in their lives, and it's like so cute and so nice, and I totally, totally love it. So, what did you eat yesterday? But also the new one that I read that I really liked actually was. I don't want to get the name wrong. While you look that up, I'm just going to mention that Jocelyn also shouted out, what did you eat yesterday on the episode recorded last week? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she shouted out her own book yep. that she translated? So there you go. Uh, I think she was watching the drama or the animation. Maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah she shouted Oh, that was it. She shouted out the... I feel like it's a different thing to <laughs> shout out the book that you translated versus the one that you like wrote or illustrated. An episode about the book that you translated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, after all that and even butting in, I can't find my iPad does not is not pulling up my books. It is amazing. Sorry, David, do you want to go? Yeah. No, mine is You guys know like the Tashin Art Book Company, like they do like the giant expensive art books. Oh yeah. Well, they also do have a series called yeah. Tashin Basic, which are $20 like starter like beginner's guide to impressionism or Rodin or Various artists, like architects, all kinds of stuff. I've recently gotten into their these little books. They're like almost like when they put Wikipedia into a book and they call it an encyclopedia. It's kind of like that kind of vibe. Okay, yeah. But lots of pictures, lots of interesting info. It's almost like a beginner's approach to anything about art. And I really like the series. There's like 78 different books. So if hmm. you're curious about anything about art or you kind of want to like go broaden your horizons intentionally like poke around buy a tash and basic book that costs 20 bucks a piece they're really handsome really nice sounds good i think I i've got so like so many tash and four books. or five now before i moved yeah they're awesome uh, i totally yeah. agree with you there oh and my book that I, I found it by the way is run away with me girl uh, it is a three volume series by batan and it is sort of a yuri romance but it's about a girl who's in just sort of a shitty relate it's like a it's like the inverse of almost like the inverse of the one, even, even though we're adults that we read, that's about two women. And like, <laughs> instead of this one, like the, the lesbian is like shy and retiring. And then the girl who's trying to figure out her stuff and has like a shitty husband is like, let's just run away together and whatever. And, and they're just like, oh my God, is this girl serious? So it's really, it's really great and fun and cute. But yeah, you've, nice. you actually just made me really miss Tashin books because I had so many of them actually when I was, had a house that had books and 
they'd be so pretty and i would learn so much it's about like the most them. mature just, thing that i own like it's just like oh, i'm gonna <laughs> learn i'm gonna learn about male nudes uh, and then i'm gonna learn about in you know 20th century pop art design and then i'm gonna <laughs> learn about male nudes volume two and then i'm gonna it's great uh, you're probably not reading as many of the male nudes as i did <laughs> maybe i think we maybe. go to different stores to buy art books maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> chip do you have a shout out anything you've liked in the last week really the only thing i've consumed in the last week is something i, I quite enjoyed so i'll give it a shout out here it's the uh, the book okinawa published by manga oh come on manga explaining press msx and fanographics and fanographics of course finally just read the whole thing in preparation for uh, david and myself interview with andrew and jocelyn and uh i loved it yeah i thought it was an amazing book and i highly recommend it to everyone in the world wow even though once again i will say this <laughs> i don't make a dime off of it. <laughs> thanks chip published published by manga splating i don't make a dime off of it <laughs> It That's is weird. the perfect David's beginner manga cleared. for everyone ever. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the pull quote in the back of the book, right? I didn't make a damn dime off of this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to include that on the soft cover. Yeah. yeah. At yeah, least the digital edition, like go. a little Eisner Award bug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chip will come up with a fake. Oh, and by the way, con- congratulations oh, yeah, on your Eisner. Eisner. Oh, thank you very much. Mm. Thank you. Also, your maybe heart one day I'll see it in person. Book of the Year <laughs> nomination. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. Book of the Year. I can't wait to lose to Kate Beaton. It's going to be great. Oh, wow. yeah. At least I'm losing to another Canadian. That's nice. <laughs> or you could lose to Hayao Mizaki. Ha ha ha. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the Revenge of Nausicaa. There's, there's so many people. <laughs> so many people to lose to. Oh, well. Nice. That's okay. Yeah. It's being nominated is the honor. You know what? Yeah, I'm uh, normally a nomination. I'm like, okay, whatever. But like, uh, book of the year. That's good. Feels a little special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially for public yeah. domain, which is you know your original work. So, yeah, yeah. Yay me. Yay you. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So what's my shout out? I'll go at recency buy-ins again for five hundred dollars, Alex. It's, I read this new webtoon called Tata the Cat that just. Blew me away how much I loved it. <laughs> so, about a young girl who goes back to the countryside to visit her grandma. She recently moved to a Seoul with her family. She's hating school. She goes back. In the backyard of the, her grandma's house is a big tree, and then there's a what looks like a giant flower bud hanging from it. The grandma goes, "Oh yeah, that weird flower popped up after the last meteor shower," and then the bud starts shaking, and out of it pops a big fat orange cat and what the grandmother tells her is that big fat orange cat is a spitting image of the tata the cat who used to hang out their yard 30 years ago Hmm. so it's the cat has like these has a flower on its head and the cat can now fly (laughs) and the cat basically all the all her the aunts and uncles become like pictures of tata the cat gets spread around and they go oh my god we have to come home and see this cat and it's just <laughs> it's just this amazing story. It's it's so magical and charming and kind of wistful and nostalgic, but kind of mysterious too, because you kind of is it like a pet cemetery thing where the cat came back from the dead and it's not mm. really the cat? 
Oh, man. <laughs> and then the original owner of the cat died through some mysterious circumstances. So you don't know if that has anything to do with it. And what did the meteor shore have to do with anything anyway? But I love it. I spent money on that. <laughs> it only has 10 ch- chapters out and the first five chapters are free. And then the rest, you got to pay some coins. I just immediately went all in on it. I love it. It's uh, kind of magical and mysterious and it's cute, but not cutesy. I think it's worth checking out. It's very special. It's it's one of the rare webtoon stories that isn't about a extreme bullying in the classroom or a villain is coming back from the dead. <laughs> I definitely just imagined like Heathcliff for your orange cat in this one. <laughs> Way cuter. <laughs> but go read. I I love it. I, it's my new obsession. <laughs> nice. All right. And that was another episode of Manga Spending. Stick around for more. Soonish, I guess. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.